That's why I'm a believer that the battle isn't won or lost in the preaching. What we did a few minutes ago, that's where the battle is won or lost in the worship. When you read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, every time there was a great battle, you find the worshipers went out before. Why? Because the battle is God's and the victory is ours. But the battle only becomes God's when we invite him into the battle, into our lives. That's why worship is what our life is all about. And the reality is when we invite God in, he does not say, I inhabit the preaching of my people. I inhabit the attending of my people. He said, I inhabit the praises of my people. And when you invite God into your life in a time of worship, that means whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether you're on top of the mountain, sometimes you feel like you're under the dung heap. God said, rejoice. In all things, he said, give thanks. Am I making sense this morning? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. AZ.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. And I want you to listen to this tonight because this, or this morning, because this is the whole of this message. If you miss this, you miss the entire message. What is it that you want with my life? See, look at me, folks. We have all been seduced to believe that what God wants is what's best for us. What God wants is what's best for him. And it'll always be best for us. But we have it backwards. We think our career is what's best for us. Is it? We think our vocation is what's best for us. There's many of us get married because we think that's what's best for us. There's some that get divorced. Well, that's what's best for us. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's very clear. What's best for you is God's will, God's plan, God's purpose. Nothing more. Nothing less, nothing else. And the scripture says very clearly in in Jeremiah 29, you will find God when with all your heart you decide to seek him. And that's what that military man did. That's what my wife did. I took the entire worship team, as many as could go to a worship conference or concert in, in Phoenix with Darlene Sheck and Israel Houghton. And 
we were there at this concert and just a wonderful presence of God. I mean, I, I went, I, I was down before God weeping and crying and my wife was seeing things on the screen that nobody else saw. And one of the things that God placed before her was what, John 8? John 3, 30. Yeah, I know the scripture. I just remember I was going to say John 8. John 3, 30 that says these words. I must decrease. He must increase. She walked away from a 20-year career. For what? I'd love to say for you, but no, for him. The thing that you all and I have to come to grips with, and I say me too, because even your pastor, after 30 plus years of ministry, I still battle. Is it best for me or is it best for God? Sometimes what's best for God is going to be worse for me momentarily, but for eternity will be the best. How many are getting what I'm saying today? Okay. A question that I've asked people for many, many, many times over all the years that I've been pastoring Victorious Life. We founded Victorious Life in San Jose, California. Uh, and here we are in Flagstaff, Arizona. But anybody that's been a part of our church for any length of time, I ask them this specific question. Are you growing? I will come up to people and I will ask, ask you, did that make sense today? I will ask you, how did that message work for you today? What did you get out of that message? That's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for simple feedback to find out what it is you heard being said. You say, well, Pastor, you said one thing, but it'll be heard 30 different ways. Why? Because it's not a matter of what I'm trying to get you to hear. It's what's God trying to get you to listen to. That's what the sermon is all about. That's why the Bible tells us the book of Isaiah, that I, my word is such that it'll go forth and accomplish that what pleases me. I will perform my word, God says. That's why I'm a believer that the battle isn't won or lost in the preaching. What we did a few minutes ago, that's where the battle is won or lost in the worship. When you read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, every time there was a great battle, you find the worshipers went out before. Why? Because the battle is God's and the victory is ours. But the battle only becomes God's when we invite him into the battle, into our lives. That's why worship is what our life is all about. And the reality is when we invite God in, he does not say, I inhabit the preaching of my people. I inhabit the attending of my people. He said, I inhabit the praises of my people. And when you invite God into your life in a time of worship, that means whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether you're on top of the mountain, sometimes you feel like you're under the dung heap. God said, rejoice. In all things, he said, give thanks. Am I making sense this morning? I don't know about you, but I've been hurt by one or two people in my life. And that's just since I got up this morning. Okay. But I have been. But the reality, that is not an issue. The issue is why am I hurt? Because I let it bother me. I let it hurt me. 
I tell you what, I can, I can get up in the morning. Folks, can I tell you something? I can do stupid well. Can anybody else say amen? I know how to do stupid. I went to school for stupid sometimes, I think. But just because I do stupid don't mean I need to be treated like I'm stupid. But still, somebody thinks that's what their gift is. Don't look at me like that. You know, don't worry, I'll get to my notes in a second. But the reality is just because Rick does something to hurt my feelings, I need to ask him about it. And no, he didn't do this man. Man, if this guy ever does anything, it's, he's one of the greatest guys to lift me up. This guy and Jim Mason. I said, where are you at, Jim? Well, I mean, they just, oh man, two of the greatest guys. But the reality of he did, do I have the right to come and slice and dice him? No. No. I have the responsibility to say, Rick, that hurt. He might have been schooled and stupid too. Amen. <laughs> and he has to sit back and say, you know, I need to, you're right, Pastor. I shouldn't have done that. You're right. <laughs> you mean, Pastor, people would even disrespect you? What planet are you from? So they sometimes disrespect the preachers more than they do anybody. Say amen, Ray. But the reality of that still, I see someplace in my Bible, I'm not sure, maybe it's someplace in there. There's got to be someplace. Doesn't it say to repay evil with? Oh, is it in your Bible too? But it sure doesn't feel good to do it, does it? But we sometimes have to walk away what seems to be best for us and say, God, what's best for you? Are you growing? The sole purpose of all I do, and if I put it in your notes, S-O-U-L, scratch through it, that's a typo, it should be S-O-L-E. I'm sorry I caught that. The sole purpose for all I do as a pastor is to help people grow. That's all, that's why I do what I do. I don't come to draw a crowd I come to grow people. Can somebody say amen? amen? Now, notice what I said. Help you to grow. Did not say cause you to grow because that's not my job. That's your job. My job is to give you the tools, which is the word and the ways of God that you can apply them to your life. So the greatest compliment that I've gotten from this church and all the churches that I've pastored over the years is, Pastor, you have an ability to preach the word in such a way that I know how to go live what you're preaching. And that's one of the greatest compliments that I've ever gotten as a pastor. Because the reality, I don't care if I'm an exegetical genius. I don't care if my, or my oratory skills and my oration will set you in amazement. If you can't walk away living what I've preached, I have done nothing for the kingdom of God. I've only done something for the glory of Tim. Am I making sense? My job is not to cause people to grow. That is their job. My job is to give the tools, which very simply is the word and the ways of God that we might apply the word of God. The 103rd Psalm says these words, that God made known his ways, underline that word in your, in your scripture, his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. What is God saying? He said, I'm showing Moses why I do what I do. And I'm showing my people how I do it. There's a huge difference. The pastor is supposed to expound upon why God does what he does. Why things happen the way they happen. You say, pastor, you know all the whys? No, nope, but I know where to find them. 
But most of us sit back and we experience the deeds or the, we see the hand of God. Moses was, was his cry was, God, I want to see your face. I want to know you face to face. What he's saying, I want to know your character. I want to know your nature. I want to know the ways of God. The people are content to know the hand of God or the deeds and power of God. And this is what the scripture says in Ephesians 4. This is why God established his church to grow his people. Now, I want you to take a quick look around. Did you notice that our chairs are set up like rows? Did you notice that? And nice, straight, easy to get to. A farmer's field is set up the same way, in rows. So that the cultivators and the planters and the binders, they could all get in there to do their job. And I'm not sure that that's not the reason God sets his church up. You say, Pastor, that God set the church up this way? I don't know. I think it's just easy for people to get around in. So, But it sure makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The Bible says that God gave him apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And underline this in your notes. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Edifying the body of Christ. My job is to equip the saints. I I like to put it this way. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's very valid in word. My job is to get you to go to work in God's kingdom. That's the pastor's job. There's a lot of pastors that are sleeping on the job, though. Why? Because most, I say most times, many times, all we want to do is, is... is caress the people, tickle the ears a little bit. Because my goodness, if you don't come back next week, our offerings might be down. My goodness, if you don't come back next week, the chairs might be empty. But God said, we're supposed to equip the saints. Prepare the saints for the work of ministry. A statement I've made very many years is I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. Here's how it boils down to, I'm responsible to preach the truth. He's responsible to set you free. You're responsible to let him. That's the responsibility of God's word in our lives. And it's his truth that will set us free. Yet it's you and I as individuals that must be willing to allow God's word if we're to see results in our lives. Let me take you into 2 Peter I've got actually verses 1 through 4, Bob, that's not on the screen, so don't worry about it. You're going to put up 5 through 8. I was going through my notes last night, and, and I was rereading and going through stuff, and, and the Lord pointed me back, and he said, you need to put 1 through 4 in there also. I said, okay. So verses 1 through 4 in Second Peter 1 reads this way, and I'm reading down the, the New Living Translation. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. So write this down in your notes because I want you to go back and read this later. 2 Peter 1 through 4 along with 5 through 8. Okay? This faith was given to you. Now understand this. The faith that you and I have, the Bible says we were all in the book of Romans, we were all given the measure of faith. God has given to us faith simply because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. 
May God give you more. It goes on the second verse. May God give you more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ the Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. Kind of spells it out pretty simple, doesn't it? By his grace and power, he's given us everything that we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this, listen, by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by his marvelous glory and excellence. Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you and I to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption that is caused, listen to this, by human desires. Remember how I started this? We're seeking our best instead of his best. Human desire is seeking our best instead of his best. Now let me take you onto the screen of the New King James Version. The only reason I didn't change that to the Living Translation too because it was already in the notes. So that's, you can read it, whichever. Listen to what it says here. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, underline, underline this in your notes please folks, and if these things are yours and abound, what things the knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Look what it says. If they are yours, if they're already apparent and applicable in your life and abound, that means they're growing in your life, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. And underline this in your notes, in the knowledge of our Lord. Jesus Christ. Over in Third John, verse two, the Bible says, "My brother, my 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 brethren, I I pray that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers." This is what the Scripture is saying: You will not be unfruitful in the knowledge in this your soul growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quickly, and I want to take you through this quickly this morning because I want to pray for some things at the end of service. We have to make a choice to pursue God if we're going to grow. Our text begins with these words, giving all diligence. Anything we ever hope to achieve starts with diligence. I don't remind me to talk about the float. I forgot to talk about that, okay? Starts with diligence. The American Heritage Dictionary defines diligence as the earnest and persistent application to an undertaking. The Strong's Greek Concordance, which you can get, and I actually recommend people, if you want to get a deeper study into God's Word, there's a great big huge book called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of Biblical Words. It's about that thick, and it's huge. And it'll actually take you into the expositional understanding of some of the Greek and Hebrew uh, in Scripture. So in the Strong's Greek Concordance, it says earnest, uh, 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 diligence means earnest, earnestness to accomplish, promote, or to strive after anything. 
The first thing to understand in our lives, you do not grow just by showing up to church. You do not just grow accidentally. It doesn't just happen because you show up. There has to be a purposeful diligence here. I was preaching, and I've shared this before, but I was preaching on faithfulness many years ago. And God stopped me right in preparation of the sermon. He said, tell me what faithfulness is. And so I told him the average thing. I mean, God, you know, they show up, they, they tie, they do this, they do that. He said they can do all those things and still not be faithful. I said, God, what, what do you mean? And so once again, God speaks to me really simple, folks. And just because you're in every church service does not mean you're faithful. It actually doesn't even mean you're saved. I thought I'd throw that in there. It wasn't in my notes. Okay, but uh, yeah. Okay. The reality, I started saying, God, okay, well, you define, tell me. He said, think about it. And then he put this simple definition. Faithfulness is defined as commitment to the purpose of why you come to church. Why do you come to church? Well, bless the Lord, I'm looking for a girl. Well, you've gotten galvation, not salvation. Okay. That's free. You can write it down. Wendy, it, it gets better from here. Yeah. Think about it. Okay. Why do you come to church? Well, because the wife makes me. The husband makes me. Well, the kids need it. The kids need it? There has to be an earnest commitment to the reason of why we do what we do if we expect to receive what we expect to receive. This is what diligence is all about. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But look what it says here. Those that come to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder, and underline this in your notes, of those who diligently seek him, purposefully striving to accomplish the relationship of growing in and with him. What differentiates those who grow and those who don't? Very simple, diligence, diligence, purposefulness. Hebrews chapter four kind of gives a defining of this for unto us, the gospel is preached as well as to them. But listen what it says. But the word preached did not profit them. Because it was not mixed with faith. Remember where faith comes from? God gives it to us. People say, I don't have the faith for that. Sure you do. He said, I'll give you the measure of faith for any situation in your life. God will give it to us. Faith comes from God. Matter of fact, we can't get saved without faith. It says in in, in, in Ephesians 2, it's by grace we're saved through faith. The cool thing about it is God gave the grace and then he would give us the the faith to grab the grace. Yes, he does. Because it wasn't mixed with faith. Why is it that one person can come to church and they can jump up and down? They're excited. God is transforming. You look at them and say, man, what happened to them? What about me? Maybe there's a little mixture problem going on here. Am I making sense today? We've got to mix it with faith. Now listen to me. In them that heard it. Did you notice? It's not the preacher that's the problem. It's the hearer. 
Well, bless God, he didn't preach it good. Then what are you doing here? I tell you, you know, I want to be in the church God wants me to be in. I, Folks, come on. Oh, you, you, I'm a meddle a little bit. I'll step away from the pulpit so I can do this legally. <laughs> I get so tired of people talking behind my back. And people just, and I'm not saying they're doing that, but how many have had everybody talk behind your back? You know, I, I, I'm talking about somebody and they walk up to me and said, go away. I can't talk behind your back in front of your face. <laughs> you know what I would rather do? You know, if there's a problem, talk to the person. If I have a problem with candy, I'm going to go talk to candy. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. What if he gets offended? What if he does? What if he didn't know he even did something? You know what I, you know what I understand? I have people that tell me all the time, Pastor, people just tell me things. People just bring things to me. I take garbage to a dump too. Amen. And if I can dump on without any repercussion, if I know that Ricardo here, I can go tell him. You know, Ricardo, Justine over here. I mean, oh, yeah. Ah. And Ricardo will just jump in. He'll listen. Oh, yeah, sure. Ah. Mm-hmm. He'll not say a single word. Poor little Justine is getting eaten alive. But, just, but Ricardo here don't have enough spiritual fortitude. I'm speaking to all my gossipy Christian friends. I know there's none in here, but I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> that need to do something about it instead of just talk about it. This is a little statement that I make. See, the problem's not the preacher. The problem's not the church. The problem's not the message. The problem is the one that hears it, whether they want to do something about it. Say amen, Dave. Amen. Good. Brother the brother in there, that was extra. That was good. (laughs) Think about it. We always want it to be somebody else. When God says, why don't you just deal with it? Why don't you just work it through? Why don't you just mix it with the faith that I give you to get beyond it? You see, we're talking about pursuing God, which is what's best, not pursuing what we like, which we think is best. Selene, am I making sense today? Listen to me. No man can tell whether somebody's rich or poor by looking at the ledger. It's the heart that makes a man rich. It's the heart that makes a man rich. He is rich or poor according to what he is, not according to what he has. In faith, it's never an issue of what someone has that declares him or her great in faith, but whether their life exemplifies it. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Literally, what the scripture is saying is faith apprehends as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Moses standing before Pharaoh, he stood before him. And look what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. He stood before him without fear as though he saw him who was invisible standing right there with him. See, faith 
rests on the fact that God is there, that God is helping, that God is encouraging. It acts upon the fact that God is faithful, that God is encouraging, and it is upheld by the fact that God comes in the midst of situations, even to the place of contradiction. It shouldn't be this way, but yet it is. Can somebody say amen? Faith is the engine that enables us to do what we must do. This is why it's imperative to mix with faith God's word. Say, Pastor, how do I mix it with faith? I'm glad you asked. There was a young lady at a youth camp that was attended by many missions, many organizations. This little girl was from Africa. And at this youth camp, the topic came to evangelism, came to witnessing. And they turned to the little girl from Africa and they said, how do you witness in your country? And she said, well, we don't have missions organizations and we don't have tracts or pamphlets. He said, well, she said, what we simply do is we send one or two Christian families to live and work in the village where the people are so they can see who we are. And after they watch our lives for a period of time, they too want to become Christians. Not by what they read, not by what they heard, but what they saw they wanted to do. So it goes back to the question, are we growing? Are we diligent, purposeful, aggressively seeking to continue our growth in Christ? All that has to be done is a simple examination of where we were and where we are, what we were and what we are, and we will have the answer, am I growing? Secondly, in your notes, examine that growth as you're pursuing God. Am I making sense this morning? Are you with me? As I said earlier, growth does not just happen. I went to the place about talking about somebody. Why, why do we prefer to do that? I have people that I counsel, and I've counseled people over the years, and there comes to a place in my counseling, I tell them I'm not going to counsel you anymore. Why? Because I have enough stuff to listen to. I don't need to listen to the same story over and over again. Because most people in counseling, and please, I say this lovingly, because this isn't everybody, but this is a good portion. They just want to talk about the problems and not deal with the problems. Okay. Three people on that side said amen. They just want to talk about their problems. They don't want to deal with their problems. And until you decide you want to deal with your problems, folks, I love you. I just ain't got time to talk about your problems. Smile. Let me see teeth. Gums if you don't have. Okay. John, how am I doing? Okay. See, God wants you to grow. But we can't grow forward if we're always looking backwards. Oh, you ever try to do that? Walk forward when you caught your back. You're always looking around. By, well, you know what I, what I, well, you, okay. And? Oh, I'm getting people irritated. I have that gift in my life, gift of irritation. I do. Are you growing? I know, Adam, you probably deal with this in youth group all the time. You get, you know, and I say this respectfully because kids are kids. I just deal with older kids. And they're always 
What's the terminology, the loving words? Oh, whining and griping. Yeah, that's what it is. Those are good loving words. And what do you got to do? You got to help and understand. Guys, let's deal with it. Let's do something about it. Am I right? Okay, I thought it'd be the same way back there. I didn't know. Jacob, is it like Emily? But think about it. Growth does not just happen. You got to decide to do. Earnest determination to be and do more than you've been or done. Let's go back to our text. First Peter, or Second Peter 1, 5. Giving all diligence. See, God gives us an, a formula. And if you'll give me another 15 minutes, 10 minutes, I'll try. I will give you a formula that will make you grow like you've never grown before. You say, Pastor, God's word's about formulas? No. But this is a pretty good formula. I've used it all my life. So I think it works pretty good. Listen to this. Add to your faith. Who gives you the faith? Who gives you the faith? Add to that faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. He said, you got to be diligent. You got to be purposeful. You got to be decisive. You got to be earnest in your determination. And once you are determined, okay, God, you gave it to me. I'm going to grow in this. I'm going to start learning virtue and knowledge. We found that if we're going to grow, we have to be diligent. Diligent in what? Faith. So the first step of growing is develop our faith. First Peter or second Peter one, one God gives us the faith, but he says to develop the faith. How do we develop the faith In the diligence? We add to the faith virtue, virtue, very simply. And I try to get this as simple as I can. Very simply is described as the course of thought, feeling, emotion, and action. Let me make a statement that I've made for many, many years. You are more likely to feel your way into action than you are to act yourself into feeling. If you are in a bad mood, how many know you can act like you're in a bad mood? But if you take authority over that feeling by becoming virtuous, saying, okay, God, this is not what I'm supposed to do. Over here is what I'm supposed to do. Then you begin to take authority over that thought, that feeling, that emotion, that action. Very simply, moral goodness, excellence, such as modesty and purity are the reflection of virtue in the Bible. Literally, the scripture is saying, in your faith, supply virtue. Which takes us right over James 4 where it says faith without works is dead. I've met many people say, well, pastor, I'm a Christian. And I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of straight in my words. And I say, well, I couldn't tell you by looking at your life. I couldn't tell you by listening to your words. I, I couldn't. Is this making sense this morning? God said, I gave you the faith to live this Christian life, to live a victorious Christian life. But you've got to begin to develop that faith by adding virtue. David Glass, who was the CEO, CEO of the Walmart Corporation for many, many years, was asked who he admired the most. And without hesitation, he stated Sam Walton. And he went on and wrote this note. He said, there has never been a day 
in Sam Walton's life, ever since I knew him, that he did not try to improve in some way. See, too many times we get content just to get by. This happens in worship. We get content. We come up here and we go through our two-hour on Thursday night practice and all this, you know, you're, you're sitting down. Okay, come on. See, we think that somehow it's about us when worship's about him. We're not trying to get here to better the performance. We're trying to be here to tender the heart. To realize that, God, what we do on Sunday morning is a representation of who we are on Thursday night. And so whether it takes two hours or three hours, well, pastor, I've got to take care of things. I understand. But God does too. A little girl was coming home from school and said, Mom, I want to show you the fruit that a friend gave me. And she said, Yeah, Mom. They actually, she actually gave me a whole lot more than I have. And her mom said, well, what'd you do with the rest of it, honey? And the little girl said, mom, you remember that, that little girl's been pushing me off the path and making faces at me and calling me names? And the mom said, yeah, yeah. She said, I, I gave half of it to her. And the mom asked her, why did you give half to her? And listen to what the little girl's response was. Because I thought it would make her know that I want to be kind to her. And that she will not perhaps be so rude and unkind to me. In other words, she said, I wanted to show her what it meant to be virtuous. When I'm doing all the things in the kingdom of God, I never look at the time. I never look at the stuff. I never look at this. I'm always respectful of it. But I always sit down and I surround myself with the why I do what I do. Why? Because I want to grow. I don't want to be tomorrow, even if I'm awesome, I don't want to be tomorrow what I am today. I want to be better. And I can't do that unless I apply the principles of virtue to my life. Am I making any sense? This little girl should describe every single Christian, should it not? Look what it says. To faith, add virtue. Let me change that word virtue to good works. Let your light shine, the Bible says, that they can see God. The next thing in our step quickly says to our virtue, supply knowledge. In exercising virtue, supply knowledge. In short, what we're talking about is distinction between good and evil. Sensing God's will in everything we do. You see, it's imperative that we develop the sense of knowing what God desires. I go back to the beginning of this session. Is what best for you, is it best for God? Not necessarily. Sometimes it may not be the best for you. Like this little girl giving half of those things away. How could that be construed best? But best for God was letting that little girl see a little bit of God in her. It's you on your job. When somebody's backbiting, somebody's behind your back, instead of going moaning and complaining and griping and whining about it, go to the person and say, 
How can I help to resolve this? Whatever I've done, take responsibility. Tomorrow night in our leadership class, I'm going to help people learn how to walk through these different areas. If you have a struggle dealing with people, you need to be there tomorrow night. I will help you to understand how to process through this stuff. It does not mean everyone you deal with is going to be better or change or anything like that, but it means you will. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to develop. He wants to add to our virtue knowledge, knowledge of understanding the right, the wrong, the good, the bad, the better, the best. Can someone say amen? Now, this may not be a good example, but I kind of like it. At least one person in this example is not good, but I, I found this and I thought this is perfect. This is perfect. Christian ministries and people should always strive for the highest quality possible, this one person wrote. He said, listen to the dedication of the following secular businesses. It's in your notes. My wife said, honey, are you sure you want to put that in there? I said, sure I do. Freddie Heineken, the purveyor of Heineken products. Oh, I figured none of you would know about that. Anyway, he bluntly said, a bad bottle of Heineken is a personal insult to me. This is the owner. This is the purveyor of Heineken products. The Mars Candy Company founder, Forrest Mars, was given to fits of unbridled rage when quality was not given. One time he discovered a box of improperly wrapped candy bars and he sat in the conference room and hurled the entire inventory one by one at the glass panel of the boardroom as the frightened aides looked on. He was bothered by lack of quality. Why is it the Christians are okay with it? Mr. Marriott, the founder of the Marriott Corporation, at 82 years old, he signed every single one of his customer comment cards himself, reading everyone personally. You and I as Christians, should we not have the same concern for quality? Should we not add to our faith virtue and to that virtue add knowledge and begin to do that? You say, well, pastor, I'm doing that. I mean, I do do that. Are you doing it so much that your life is reflecting it? Second Peter 3 says, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lastly, this morning, in pursuit of God, determine to fulfill just like God is. To be a, an effective church, this is what I try to do, and, and I, I don't think I always do a great job at that, but I really try. To be an effective church, I, I try to treat, treat a church kind of like a garden. And I do this in individual lives. I do this purposely when I talk to people. I plant five rows of peas. And the peas are very simply presence, promptness, preparation, purity, and perseverance. It's kind of hard to call yourself a Christian if God's presence doesn't seem applicable in your life. It's kind of hard to say we're Christian if we're never prompt about anything, whether physical, mental, emotional, 
never prepared, don't live in purity, and don't practice perseverance. The second thing you do is three rows of squash. As I alluded to when I was talking about to Ricardo earlier, is you got to squash gossip, squash criticism, squash indifference. See, these are all aspects of growing in God, in pursuing God, and growing in the knowledge of God, adding to your faith virtue, adding to your, to, to your faith diligence, to your diligence virtue, to your virtue uh, knowledge, growing in the things of God. You've got to make a decision pretty soon. I'm not going to be one of the people talking like everybody else is talking. I'm going to start doing what I should be doing, and that's shutting people up when they're talking gossipy, criticizing. Or just being indifferent. See, the reality is I should never let people talk behind Adam's back about Adam. I should, Adam should never let people talk behind my back about me. I should never let anybody talk behind Larry's back. Or Jim's back. Or Sarah's. Or Judy's. I, I shouldn't do these things. Or Russ's. I, I shouldn't do those things. If somebody has a problem with Reuben, I should say, hey, Reuben, come here. Me and Larry want to talk to you. Okay, Larry, what was it you were talking about? We got to add some squash to this garden. Can you say amen? And no, garden is quite complete without turnips. Where you turn up to church. You turn up with a smile. Or if you're a leader in the church, you turn up with an idea. How about just living for God? You turn up with determination to make a difference in everything you do. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I'm always intrigued when people join the church. They join the church. I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. They leave the church. I'm the devil's brother. I'm always amazed when somebody comes in the church, they're convinced it's God. When they leave the church, they got to convince everybody else that God told them to. I'm always amazed. Why is it that God can convince you without convincing anybody that you're here? But when you leave, you got to convince everybody you're right and everybody else is wrong. See, I'm talking about growing in God, folks. I'm talking about developing, maturing, determining to be something. Let me wrap this up this morning. The next flow of words are rather simple. He said, to your knowledge, add self-control, which literally is the proper perspective of happiness. How the things in this world are not meant to make you happy. Self-controlled, purposed in your life that, God, you're going to be in control, not myself. Add to this perseverance, which is just what we think, patience in that determination. Then he goes on to say, and then to that, godliness. You say, Pastor, what does it really mean to add godliness 
that when you do what you do, you do it with the understanding of reverence and dependence on God. That everything you do is bringing in God into a situation, good or bad. We either exemplify God good or we exemplify our lives that God's not good. Magnifying him in our heart shown by our actions is what it means growing in godliness. Finally, developing brotherly kindness. And I could have preached the whole sermon just on this last line. John 13, the scripture says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, God's love is the ability to love everyone regardless of who they are or what they've done. Regardless of who they are or what they've done. When Jesus was hung at Calvary, he didn't say, God, forgive, uh, forgive these for they for, no, don't know what they're doing except those over there. God, they're the ones that drove the nails. Don't forgive them. Oh, and those over there, they're the ones that lashed my back. No, don't forget. Oh, no, and those back there, don't, don't forgive them. They did this to me. I think he just said, forgive them. Brotherly kindness says, God, I'm just going to forgive because you forgave. God's love doesn't base itself on selfishness, nor does it insulate itself from being hurt again. Too many times we get hurt, we build up walls around people. If you have walls, you can't have Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't be a young Christian and those walls have to come down. But the truth is, if we're going to have Christ fully in our lives, we have to allow people into our lives. Can you say amen this morning? Look what it says in the end of our text. If these things are yours and abound, you will never be unbarren or barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these things abound, you will never be barren or unfruitful. The tragic tale of many believers is that we get entangled. If the worship team could come, we get entangled in a quest of something more than just Christian life. We get entangled in trying to find something that we think is best, but God doesn't. The sad tragedy of Christianity is Many talk about pursuing God, getting more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit, more power, more blessings, a higher, deeper life. And they begin to speak of the resources of God as if they're divinely doled out to certain seekers or unlocked by some spiritual combination that only a few can know. But I want you to understand this morning as we conclude this message, God has already given you the faith to do every single thing we've talked about. It's not a magical mystery tour. It is a fact of commitment of life. As we simply begin to step out and begin to do what he has given us the faith to do, and that is grow in him, pursue his will, and accomplish his plan. 
All we must do to continue to pursue God is very simple. Give all diligence. Add to that faith virtue, to that virtue knowledge, to that knowledge self-control, to that self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. We do these things, the love of God will flourish in our lives and abound and we'll never be barren or unfruitful in the things of God. Can you say amen? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are-